You are listening to episode 44 of the Ridiculous Hour Foundation podcast. My name is Kat Silverglate, founder of the Mobile Mission Project at the Ridiculous Hour Foundation, where we exist to serve individuals who are tired of ridiculous responsiveness, the negative kind, the kind that has us reeling from relentless demands on our attention, the kind that wants to quiet all of those bells, dings, and whistles just long enough to listen for the voice of the one who created us to be responsive beings, ridiculously responsive, the good kind, the kind that longs to hear from the one who works in our hearts to desire and to move in his good purposes for our lives and the world. This podcast is for people who are curious about how their lives might change, their families, neighborhoods, towns, cities, if this became a core life value, a daily focused pause to seek a poke, a prod, a nudge from above. Our August 2023 Mobile Mission Story and Challenge is called Midlife Reinforcing Holes. Here's the story. The phrase midlife is curious, isn't it? As if we can know where the middle of life will be for any of us, but it's a thing, right? It's a thing that we do. We, we take our projected 100-year lifetime and we divide it into halves and quarters and birthdays that end in fives and zeros into tenths. There's this song by a band called Five for Fighting called 100 Years, and they absolutely nail this common practice in beautiful poetic lyrics. They talk about what it's like to be 15 and they say, the world is all in front of you because there's so much time for you. You look at it differently. A hundred years feels like forever. But when you're looking back in the rearview mirror at 30, 40, 50, we're just shocked by how entire decades seem like a moment. <laughs> and then the songwriters or the lyricist, lyricist says, can you imagine yourself at the ripe old age of 99, what your thought will be? You want just another moment just another moment. In 2018, when Christopher Birdie was getting ready for his 50th trip around the sun, his halftime show, if you will, he was feeling the need to take a pause and regroup. 50 was a big deal for me, Kat. The magnitude of how fast my life was passing hit me. I decided to take a year to examine where I was. What had I done with my 50 years? What had I left undone? Where was I going? Chris is a highly accomplished and respected civil defense attorney in Alabama. My husband and I met him and his wife, Catherine, years ago through a legal organization that we're all active in. He's soft-spoken but confident and humble, but he's dogged in telling it straight and true and like it is. When he started the interview with me this way, this vulnerable way, it felt like it was an invitation to holy ground. The way he spoke, it was more like a confession you'd give to a priest or a trusted friend. It was almost as if the revelations he was sharing were unfolding right there in real time. And at the heart of his story is this inspirational talk he was asked to give in 2019. Here's how he describes it. When they asked me to do a TED-style talk about my family of origin, I knew one thing about those talks. The best ones were delivered by people who were completely vulnerable, authentic, and real. 
The problem for me was that I'd become somewhat of a stereotype. A stereotype I'd chosen for myself to gain a sense of identity, of belonging. What was most honest about me, it was hidden somewhere behind that persona. The massive amount of work I did to get ready for that talk, it was the catalyst that helped me look behind all that and face some of the questions that were coming up as I got closer to 50. The truth for Chris was that he came from a deeply loving family who taught him grit and resilience and modeled hard work and stewardship. Sure, he already knew the broad strokes of his family history, but the details? His elders didn't really talk much about the details. His grandparents had thick accents, they lived in distant cities. He really didn't see much of them growing up. And his dad was an immigrant to the United States at six years old. He was bullied because he didn't speak English. Over time, he learned, and learned it well, well enough to put himself through dental school and periodontal school. He joined the Navy, he served his country, and then finally he settled with his dental practice in Jacksonville, Florida, same town I grew up in. He and Chris's Chicago-born mom, also in the healing profession, a nurse, they raised him there. When he tells the story, his voice animates as he describes his earliest memory of the start of this stereotype. My parents worked really hard to make every opportunity available to me and my brother. Growing up, the neighborhood surrounding ours was full of blue blazers and khaki pants, country clubs, private schools, church-going families. When I saw how people were admired and respected as part of that community, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to fit in, to belong. I was so young. I'm not sure I even knew I was making choices to try and fit in then. It just kind of happened. So fast forward a few decades. Now it's three months into his 50th year. He is dressed in khaki pants, a white Oxford shirt, a blue blazer, burgundy loafers, and he's delivering this talk this inspirational talk to a room full of lawyers, to peers, and he makes this vulnerable confession. It turns out that I may have become somewhat of a stereotype. If I were sitting in the audience where y'all are listening to me, it would be hard to convince me that I'm not listening to just another waspy Southerner. There's a low chuckle from the audience. He goes on, as any good lawyer would, to list the evidence that supports his claim. White male graduate of a private Southern college, member of the high school and college tennis teams, a fraternity brother, a member of the Episcopal Church, the downtown Rotary Club, an assistant scoutmaster, married 20 plus years with an endless mortgage, lover of sweet tea, barbecue, and bluegrass. By now, there's a loud laughter in the audience. And then he says this, but like any stereotype, it doesn't explain why I made those choices or the kind of person I am. Here's the rest of the story he shared from the stage that day, the part of the story that made the audience really quiet and somber. When the Nazis annexed Austria in March of 1938, they displaced some 200,000 Jews into other parts of Europe. Chris's paternal grandparents were amongst that group. His great-grandfather was arrested and imprisoned, 
and put in one of the earliest concentration camps, Dachau. His grandparents fled to Lyon, France. They didn't know each other then, but they got married, met and got married there in a refugee camp. And by March of 1942, Jews in France were being rounded up to be sent to another concentration camp to Auschwitz. The apartment that his grandparents lived in, it had a false wall where they could hide when the Gestapo searched the building. But she was pregnant, very pregnant. And delivering a baby in the winter of 1942 with the last name Berdachevsky, well, it made it really hard to hide in Nazi-occupied France. So they made a decision. They named their son Christian. And on Christmas Day, 1942, Christian Berdachevsky was baptized in the Catholic Church. When they finally arrived on Ellis Island in 1949, his last name was shortened to Bertie. Christian Bertie. This was his family of origin, the focus of his talk. And while the theme that day centered around assumptions we sometimes make about people based on where they live, where they grew up, how they dressed, his preparation for that talk opened a door to some deeper revelations about identity, revelations that continued to come after that day. Chris started to examine some of the major touch points in his life. In high school, he dated a girl whose family went to church regularly. He started to go too, with her family. And when the relationship ended, the Lord continued to reveal himself to Chris. He felt God's hand. And while his heart was forever changed by that, his search for identity continued. When Chris got married many years later, he and his bride did a backpacking trip on the Continental Divide, on the Continental Divide Trail. And early in the trip, he says he was feeling nervous because they couldn't see where the trail over the major pass was heading. There weren't traditional trail markers like you see on normal trails, there were these stacks of rocks that were placed by other hikers to say, go this way, go that way. Cairns, they call him. So after going from one cairn to the next cairn, they finally found themselves at the very top of the divide. His voice is emotional when he describes the moment. We turned around and we looked back over the vista and it was like God pulled back the veil between heaven and earth and we got this glimpse of the beauty the stress of not knowing where the trail led on the other side of the pass, it just vanished. The best analogy I have is like a pair of jeans with worn knees. When you run your hand over that part, you feel something in the thin place that you don't feel on the rest of your legs. The presence of the Lord was overwhelming. He just started to bawl like a child standing in that place. And at a pass crossing over the continental divide, both he and his wife, they fell to their knees and they prayed on the spot. What else could you do in the Lord's presence? The selfie they took that day, before selfies were even a thing, it sits in a frame in their bedroom as a forever reminder of God's hand on their lives. They were touched. And then when his son was born, he and his wife had 10 minutes together alone with this baby before they named him. This thought came to him with a force. I distinctly remember thinking, this child came through us, but not because of us. We had nothing to do with this. 
It was overwhelming to both of them, this sense of the Lord's hand on their child's creation and his delivery. They named him Christian. Chris sums up his identity revelations this way. When I look back at my whole history, I can draw a direct line to God's saving hand on my life and on my family's life in surviving the Holocaust. Here's the thing about Chris's story. At every step, it seems like God is reinforcing the holes in his adopted identity and filling them with his presence. Friedrich Buechner, in his book, The Magnificent Defeat, he talks about two battles that humans face. The first is more of an undeclared battle. It's not one we announce publicly, but it's one we find ourselves in. It's the battle to find our place in the sun. He says this, we fight to be visible, to move into a place in the sun, a place in family, the community, and whatever profession we choose, a place where we can belong where there's a light enough to be recognized as a person, to keep the shadows at bay. Funny, when Chris opened his talk with the suspicion that he'd become somewhat of a stereotype, he acknowledges one of the bunkers in the first battle, conforming to an identity to satisfy this need to belong, this need for a place in the sun. But Buechner goes on to explain, no matter how much we attempt to reinforce our place in the sun, the hole is never filled. There's another battle. He says it this way. Even if we do not find our place in the sun, or not quite the place we want, or a place where the sun is not as bright as we always dreamed that it would be, this is not the end. Because this is not really the the decisive war. Even though we spend so much of our lives assuming that it is, in long form, and this is my very condensed attempt to summarize the essence of it, he describes the decisive battle as discovering what it means to feel comfortable in our own skin as a human, to be complete, apart from a righteousness of our own making, apart from the sunshine we find place under, identity in. The decisive battle is discovering the Lord's hand in and on us, taking it in faith and walking with him all the days of our lives. Faith in the righteousness of God in Christ, we find our true identity. This is what Philippians 3.9 is all about. Identity and a righteousness that's not our own. So our mission this month is simple. If you've gotten your mission pack in the mail already, go ahead and shake out those contents. If you don't have one or you want one, go to theridiculoushour.com. We'd love to send you one. You're going to find three things in there. First is a sheet of eight little hole reinforcement stickers, the kind we use to reinforce the punched holes on loose leaf paper, the kind we used in grade school in three ring binders. Maybe you don't use them anymore, but you know what I'm talking about. I hope, I think. And second, you're going to find two identity cards. One has a hole in it at the top, and the other one has a hole punched out, but the hole is then filled in with the punch. Okay. We're going to use the first identity card to meditate on our first battle, the battle for our place in the sun. Are there there holes in your peace? Are there areas in your life where you continue to double down and press harder only to find the hole in your peace reinforced? Is this a hole only God can fill? Has your identity become attached to something you do? 
where are you looking for peace and purpose and value? Put those whole reinforcement stickers on that card. Write those things on that card. Ask the Lord to show you if you're trying to find ultimate peace in a place that can't be found. Only He can give ultimate peace, the decisive war, the war for peace in your own skin, in a righteousness that's not of your own. Okay, now the second ID card, the one with the hole filled in. Use this one to begin a list of your identity in the Lord. When we are hidden in His righteousness, not anything of our own making, our own choosing, we're found, redeemed, set free. There's a million ways to describe this, countless ways to describe this. The list goes on. Can you use this card to fill in your identity in Him, in Christ? Can you carry it around? and keep filling it in as you grow in Him to remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. And if you're new to all of this and you don't know where to start with God, can you remember this? He started with you a long time ago. He's never going to stop knocking. The question for each and every one of us is this, will we respond? Amen. Amen.